Hey there, folks, and welcome to The Plunge. On this week's show, the Teamsters are training to defend their immigrant members from DHS, Russian bots were blamed for Al Franken's demise, a real-life Linda Belcher flipped a Kentucky representative seat from red to blue, and at CPAC, Sebastian Gorka clashed with his longtime rival, the mediaite reporter Caleb Ekarma. Our main story is the history of the NRA's lobbying efforts and how it got us to where we are at today. We will try to fill in the gaps that most media outlets have forgotten about or ignored, and we have many a tale to tell about the people who made the NRA what it is today, like Wayne LaPierre and Harlan Carter. We'll also discuss the heinous reaction to the Parkland shooting survivors from conservative ghouls like Donald Trump Jr. In the pop culture corner, we are going to take a fresh look at Starship Troopers, Paul Verhoeven's satirical 1997 adaptation of the right-wing novel by the same name. We'll draw out some of its most relevant and biting themes, including the fascism inherent to militarism, the sadistic nature of military propaganda, and the role that it plays in justifying and rationalizing imperialist wars abroad. As we always do, we will close out with story time. This week, Dan will discuss his recent encounter with Alec Baldwin's miserable visage at a Saturday Night Live dress rehearsal he attended recently. Now join us as we dive deep. This is The Plunge. Episode 18, right, Sam? That's right, number 18, back from the grave. I'd actually like to just start the show off, Sam, with a tweet from the NRA. They're looking a little scared and defensive. They are, definitely. And (laughs) this was the tweet. Instead of placing blame on an organization that defends everyone's number 2A rights... Maybe people should take a hard look at the number of failures by the FBI and local law enforcement agencies, or does that not fit your agenda? Hashtag defeat the second hashtag NRA. Jeez. They're always the ones who are like, don't politicize this shooting as they are simultaneously politicizing the shooting. It is funny because the NRA also just fucking is gung-ho all in with the law enforcement and this is them kind of saying like actually everyone hates us so fuck the police (laughs) yeah that's valid (laughs) i mean nra is a fucking brilliant strategic group as we will get into later i mean the first link i saw before we get into like the more heady stuff is this awesome story you showed me about the teamsters are now training to defend their the immigrant members of their community and learning to like what to do during an ice raid like how to report it and all that shit which is actually amazing yeah so the teamsters union in response to uh the deportation of eber garcia vasquez who was deported in August to Guatemala after he showed up to a routine appointment. Happens all the time. He had no criminal record, 
And uh, the Teamsters Joint Council 16 president, George Miranda, told the New York Daily News, we were all appalled at what happened to Iber. Iber is part of our family. We and the Teamsters rely on each other to get through the tough times. This is the kind of solidarity we all should have. And we already shared the link in um, a previous episode about how to report ICE actions and enforcements to the American Immigration Lawyers Association. And yeah, definitely it's something that requires kind of constant vigilance on our part. So that was a story that gave us a little hope right after our last episode came out. And this next story also gave us some hope because a seat has been flipped in Kentucky. This was a pretty weird story for a couple reasons. One being the special election winner in a bullet county in Kentucky was named Linda Belcher. So, Tina, dance with mommy. Uh, 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 uh. It's a party. All right. Same uh, name as a Bob's Burgers matriarch character. Kentucky Democrat has won back her old seat in the state house following a special election. Former state representative Linda Belcher received 68% of the votes in Tuesday's election to represent the 49th district in Kentucky's house. She lost her seat in 2016 to Republican Dan Johnson by a narrow one point margin. President Trump won her district by 72% that year. And this seat was vacated by Representative Dan Johnson, who shot himself after he was accused of sexual abuse as many sexual abusers and other republicans should probably consider doing as well we are happy to see this seat flipped well one thing that was really crazy that people pointed out about that race in the i think the 37th district in was it kentucky one of the things that was really crazy about it was that trump i think won that district by like 32 points and she then turned around and won it by almost the same i think a large margin as well so people were interpreting it as a massive flip even though i think during the previous election when she had run uh linda belcher only lost by one point so it's not like she was trump unpopular or anything but uh i guess another weird thing was that she was running against the incumbent's widow in this race because as you said he shot himself and then his widow was running against her awkward Very awkward. So I don't know how she counts as an incumbent, because I don't think she held the office, right? Mm, Don't think so, but eh, whatever. She won. Let's move on. The (laughs) next big man we we would (laughs) like to talk about this week is our friend and yours, Sebastian Gorka. Yeah. So what was this mirror brawl he got into? (laughs) So Jordan Ewell on Twitter shared, I'm going to read the tweet directly. He says, holy shit, just now at CPAC, Sebastian Gorka just raised his hand and threatened to hit mediaite reporter Caleb Ekarma and got in his face and told him to fuck off and shoved him. Fuck off. I will hit you in the face. It's the best video. He like grabs him close and he's shaking his fist in his head. He looks like, uh, he's like, why I order? <laughs> it's the most like, preposterous. Why I order? <laughs> why I Gorka? Yeah. It's the most preposterous fight between this like gigantic, huge headed 
fucking man and Caleb Ikarma, who's just like a normal Mediaite reporter. Apparently, the two of them have previous beef. We'll link to an article in Mediaite by Caleb Ikarma from November 4th, 2017. The headline, Seb Gorka just challenged me to a fight over email and I accepted. <laughs> oh, it was that guy. That's so good. Um, there was an article also in the Daily Beast about how Gorka is a cult hero who gets mobbed by fans at CPAC, which is like a conservative political action conference. It's some shitty fucking party, uh, uh, meetup where conservatives talk about Republican shit. So, young Republicans in fedoras and Make America Great Again hats giddily lined up during Gorka's radio appearances, waiting to introduce themselves and take a selfie with the former White House aide. That's amazing. He's like a rock star amongst the nerdier, like, vol set, oh, I'm sorry, incel, like, segments (laughs) of the fucking alt-right. It's amazing. Apparently... It's been suggested that Gorka is, he's a real star among these people, and he, more than most, was kind of the celebrity of CPAC. Yeah. <laughs> well, that just also goes to show that how how poor CPAC's uh, fucking roster of cool guys is. It's like when that uh, Night for Freedom thing and the only comedians they can get is like Dan Ninen. <laughs> no, what's amazing, I think also, uh, is that I think Sebastian Gorka's, like, kind of weird Romanian-English cowboy, like, shtick. You know, he was in that Recoil magazine claiming that he carries around, like, nine guns every day and, like, lives this, you know, rural Virginian, like, frontier life. <laughs> but uh, the email from the fucking fight between Seb Gorka and Caleb Akarma, the direct quotes are amazing. So Caleb Akarma said, Seb Gorka illegally parked his shitty four-cylinder Mustang on the sidewalk, came to afford a 5.0 V8 GT. Sad, seriously, though, what the hell is the point of buying a Mustang if it's not a V8? Answer me, coward, at Seb Gorka, is what <laughs> Akarma tweeted at him. And <laughs> Gorka came back and said, so where do you want to meet? Oh my god. You, me, the parking lot. No <laughs> you, guns, me. no knives. <laughs> no, he said... <laughs> I think Caleb Akarma r- replied, name a time and place and I'm there. What are we waiting for? An interview? A debate? A Hamilton Burr-style pistol duel? I responded. <laughs> Alright. Enough Gorka for this week. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'll finish it off with what Gorka said in response to that, which was, given that you are such an internet warrior, it would be obvious. (laughs) Oh, Uh, man. Man, we can't can't quit Gorka. He's too good. Nah, he's one of the greats. Um, You can see me and Sam in a fedora at his next uh, (laughs) event. At CPAC, motherfuckers. We're going to plunge the CPAC next year. Oh, here's a good one. Numerous women came forward to accuse Al Giordano of uh, harassment and other predatory behavior toward young women attending his journalism school. This guy was a Democratic establishment challenger to Bernie Sanders. I heard about this because Glenn Greenwald tweeted about it, which I just paraphrased. And Giordano was a guy I heard like in early Chapo episodes about like during the 2016 election. He was a guy who was really ardently like pro-Hillary and really wanted to push the Bernie bro narrative that all Bernie Sanders fans are sexist, racist, uh, white boys. Yeah. 
to see him fall like this um fucking sweet is great and to see someone who's so enthusiastically touted this absurd bernie bro narrative you know and like branding mm-hmm. themselves as a feminist ally yeah that's the heinous part of it because the tacit insult in the bernie bro slur especially when it's used by white men against bernie's supporters who are as we talked about previously more diverse than most other politicians support groups mm-hmm. the thing that that's so funny is that all these dudes who throw that term around they're tacitly saying i'm not a bernie bro like i'm i'm a i'm like you said a good feminist like i trust women i mean it sucks that women were that he was an assaulter but it does go to show what's in these fuckos heads you know your peter dows or your like eclectic brother or any of those other weird dudes on twitter who are so insanely pro hillary one more thing uh natalie sure this is something she tweeted which i think like really captures uh, the the, uh, situation with Giordano well railing against Bernie bros is a woke branding exercise to justify hostility toward leftist criticism yeah I mean even you could tie it into just long term the struggles of labor race has always been used to, to divide labor against itself when clearly like I think most people on the left favor a universalist approach that approaches everyone's needs as they need them but also fucking has us all in one side and they in order to divide that vision they have to do this bullshit and say that bernie bros are fucking all white men instead of like a diverse coalition of a bunch of different groups of people so let's end this segment with america's sweetheart harvey weinstein (laughs) <laughs> on Morning Joe in April 2016, talking about the sexist Bernie Sanders, <gasps> Harvey Weinstein, a definite friend to all women. He's yeah. got more money than He's me. doing well. It's terrible. No, I doubt that. Oh, yeah. It's true. Yeah. You know, whatever. And uh, just the, uh, the, she said to me that when, when Bernie said Hillary wasn't qualified, they took that a little like, a little sexist, you know, just like, how could the Secretary of State 103 countries that she visited, two-time senator, right. you know, first lady, civil rights lawyer, not be qualified. You can say he's not right for the job, but qual- so then all of a sudden, every day I'm getting the emails when, when your kids become Sherlock Holmes. All right, that's, uh, I don't think we need to <laughs> say anything else about that. A serial rapist who thinks Bernie Sanders is too sexist. And also, Harvey Weinstein previously was a huge fucking Democratic donor. He's definitely, he's fucking very wealthy. I don't think he's down with the rhetoric of the 99% against the 1% or smashing the big banks or whatever Bernie Sanders talked about in 2016. So, not surprising. And goes to show where these fuckers' heads are at. Not that everyone who hates Bernie is a, a, a sex pest, but a lot of the ones like Al Giordano who are too fucking into it They're covering something. (laughs) Newsweek has retracted its story about a conservative botnet effort to force the resignation of Senator Al Franken. The initial report was based on research conducted by Unhack the Vote, a group examining outside influence in U.S. elections and politics. It alleged that a decidedly alt-right botnet weaponized anti-Franken stories and amplified pressure on Franken to resign after allegations of sexual misconduct. Newsweek was unable to independently verify their claims after 
a further review of their work. So I saw this story when they put it out. It was so bizarre because it was basically saying, like, the Russian bots took down Al Franken, who's, yeah. a, like, a butt grabber. And, like, like, like what? He's a perv. <laughs> he took himself down. There's a photo of him grabbing a lady's breasts. Like, that takes you down. Sorry, bro. You don't need the Russians to do that. Yeah, and, you know, people bring up that Roger Stone knew about it before it came out, but, like, I think Roger Stone, like, knows people at the major media networks and publications. Yeah, and I get the feeling I, Roger Stone knows, like, fucking everything. Yeah, and there's no reason to think that Franken was ousted for any other reason that it's, you know, his fucking fault for groping people. Like, it's not the the Russians... Yeah, that's so stupid. So, to transition into our main topic, let's talk about, briefly, this Michael Ian Black uh, op-ed in the New York Times, which, it's very rare that we'll talk about the New York Times op-ed section in a positive light on this show. Yeah. But, you know, I, I know Michael Ian Black's kind of traditional liberal, I don't agree with him on everything, but I think I actually agreed with him very much on this story, uh, the boys are not alright. So... What would you say the story's about in a nutshell, Sam? It's that America's boys are broken. That's, like, one of the main lines. Yeah, he says America's boys are broken and it's killing us. I think specifically what he is trying to draw attention to is the fact that women's studies and gender studies have become a big fucking academic topic over the past 40, 50 years. And he's asserting that basically masculinity studies haven't really kept up pace, which I don't think that's necessarily true at the academic level. I definitely took a bunch of classes on masculinity in college, but I do think on the popular level, there's not this exploration of alternate forms of masculinity. Right. There's Can I give of... you a quote that I think reinforces what you're saying? For sure. Too many boys are trapped in the same suffocating, outdated model of masculinity where manhood is measured in strength, where there is no way to be vulnerable without being emasculated, where manliness is about having power over others. They are trapped and they don't even have the language to talk about how they feel about being trapped because the language that exists to discuss the full range of human emotion is still viewed as sensitive and feminine. Exactly. That's exactly what I think is like fucking missing here i do think there's an idea that men especially white men should shut the fuck up and stay out and that the only thing they should really be doing is like checking their privilege or something there's a lot of this confession there's this fetishization of like the male confession going around if you're fucking poor you feel like your life sucks you're not gonna agree with that sort of or language or get you know inspired by that sort of language that kind of maybe makes you feel persecuted and i guess what michael ian black is saying is if we don't create this uh language to deal with that sort of stuff with uh, america's like boys then it's going to kill us and it will continue to yeah and i think it's gonna change a lot with our generation i feel like I know a lot of parents who aren't going to raise their kids to be bullies or, like, the kids are going to know that there's a different place for them in the world other than being, like, captain of the football team or, like, working in finance or doing these other, like, traditionally masculine things that tend to make a lot of men miserable even as they, like, break themselves to acquiesce to that standard of masculinity. So we can tie this perhaps into the Parkland shooting 
with this definite truth that mass shootings are overwhelmingly committed by men and that we have to try really hard to navigate this in the future or else if we if we don't do anything about reshaping our day-to-day sort of like view of what like being a man is then like i don't know it just seems to lead to more violence yeah and there's no reason to avoid having a conversation about how to talk to boys and men and make them feel like they don't have to like shoot up a school when they feel emasculated in some way or on a lesser level like become an alt-right sympathizer and right weirdly this is something that maybe white men should take the lead on because i don't see a lot of people of color or or women wanting to engage with like the more thorny like kind of school shooter likely white men out there (laughs) it's so weird how there's like this stereotype of minorities distrusting like counseling or the fucking you know psychiatric establishment when white men do it at least are are definitely if you can get a white man to fucking therapy like a middle-aged man it's impossible they think like what like tony soprano in the sopranos is like i don't want to do this fucking gabagool what therapy it's some michigan he's he's very upset about it because he feels emasculated by the act of going to a therapist i think it is across the board for men and I do also think that, you know, we need to not rag on each other and act like and be get down on one another for not being the biggest manly men all the time. I mean, Dan and I are probably ahead of the curve on that because we're not manly men. And it's <laughs> something we fucking talk about on the show all the time. So I felt it yeah. was important to kind of, you know, talk about that because that, that op-ed actually got a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of hits this week. Uh, people were really yeah, you got a lot of attention and it was actually very well written. And I think we would also be remiss to not extend our kind of invitation from previous episodes to people who are, if you're alt-right, curious, and you think that Dan and I might be able to help you out, we are here, DM us, it's fine. We've reached the time of the show and we've got to talk about the mass shooting. And honestly, I feel like without these these uh, survivors really making themselves known and seen maybe we would have avoided talking about it just out of frustration sure. at the idea that nothing was going to happen no but these kids are showing f- a bunch of adults right now how to organize against gun violence they're really fucking changing the debate on it very quickly it's brilliant and so okay we have so much about this we want to talk about so let's start with donald trump's gorgeous sensitivity during these Ugh. tough events in these trying times Of course we need to hear from the man who has the most pathos, the most sensitivity, the most fucking, you know, eloquent, brilliant politician we've seen. Sam, remember when Obama, like, cried uh, after the Sandy Hook shooting and... Yes. Say what you will about Obama, that was an insanely beautiful moment. And, like, you can't... Brilliant political fucking moment for him. I think that was so powerful. Even if his, even if he was acting, it's fine. Like I think that galvanized a lot of people. I'm sorry. I tend to think that that was like just about as genuine as uh, he he's ever been. But yeah, of course, Donald Trump. <laughs> very sad that the FBI missed all of the many signals sent out about the Florida school shooter. That is not acceptable. They are spending too much time trying to prove Russian collusion with the Trump campaign. There is no collusion. Get back to the basics and make us all proud. 
Good. Oh God. my God. So there's this, this, like this is not what this, the FBI does. No, no, no. The FBI they, doesn't like go into random towns in Florida and be like, oh, school shooter right there. Let's get him. That's not their fucking job. They're not neglecting that job. Not to mention, like, there's not like three guys there. They can do both. <laughs> like, yeah. It's a huge apparatus. Yeah, like thirty-five thousand employees. <laughs> so. This was just so fucked up. Like, the bodies aren't even cold yet. Like, you're just dead high schoolers. And yep. he's tweeting about Russia. What did you expect? No, Come I know, on. but like... it's still just, like, <laughs> we can't pretend. Like, this is not normal. Like, yeah. this is not. This is pretty I mean, bad. It, but it is not, definitely. <laughs> and his son, Donald Trump Jr., <laughs> didn't class. really. A real Pure class, class. Donald Trump Jr. is classier than just, like, a truffle on top of a diamond ring on a silk pillow with, like, ostrich feathers on, or something else that's fancy on the inside. He's just beautiful and clean and pristine, wonderful dude, gets along with everybody. Everybody thinks he's really smart, really cool dude. Oh, well, Sam, uh, I hate to break it to you, but Trump Jr. liked a tweet this week that linked to an article suggesting that David Hogg, a 17-year-old student who has been an outspoken advocate for gun control following the shooting at his school, that he'd been coached by his father, a former FBI agent, to speak out against the president and gun rights. Trump Jr. also liked a tweet linking to an article that referred to Hogg as the kid who has been running his mouth about how Donald Trump and the GOP are teaming up to help murder high school kids by upholding the Second Amendment. Holy fucking shit. So, the, you know, the president's son just casually, like, inciting violence against a child. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who has already been the victim of, like, a more serious violent act than most people get to fucking experience. Like, I cannot imagine the terror that kid went through only to have these fucking old Republican goons that look like walking scrotums fucking insulting him or attacking him or it's, it's obscene. So let's, before we like rip these fucking goons apart for how they're characterizing these kids, let's talk about the NRA. <laughs> I told you I was going to watch Bowling for Columbine, the Oscar winning Michael Moore film in order to make fun of it. But I actually decided that my time would be better spent in research researching Wayne LaPierre in the recent history of the NRA. So I'd like to give you a little history lesson. But before I do that, I actually want to talk about there was another Parkland student who tweeted at Melania Trump saying, if you're something in the effect of if you're so committed to cyberbullying, then can you stop your... <laughs> Son, your uh, stepson from uh, inciting violence against my family and friends. Wow, what a snowflake. <laughs> As I dug into the recent history of the NRA via this great PBS documentary and uh, just kind of Googling as I was watching it. I don't remember but what it's called, but it, we'll uh, link it in the show notes. Uh, they put it out right after Sandy Hook. So... Prior to the assassinations of John F. Kennedy, Robert F. Kennedy, Martin Luther King, like the 1960s had a rash of high-profile political assassinations. And the 1977 NRA convention was kind of a turning point for the National Rifle Association, which at that point 
had kind of been an advocacy organization, perhaps more known for being representative of hunters and sportsmen than these yeah. rabid gun rights activists. I will tell you, like, because in the first episode, you know, go back and listen to it, but in the first episode I talked about when I got a temp job assignment at the NRA, I worked in the education and training division of it, and I think everything I did was fine. I was just helping people find gun clubs and, like, locating resources for people who want to learn how to shoot a gun safely. That's fine, honestly, as far as I'm concerned. They weren't training anyone to take AR-15s into schools. But, of course, I wasn't working on, like, the heinous fucking lobbying wing of the NRA, which is absolutely heinous. But as we're going to just talk to you about is as recent as any other lobbying in this country dating back to basically the 70s so again we're in 1977 it's the national rifle association convention in cincinnati and dissident members basically took control to say we have to be a group dedicated to protecting the second amendment and fighting any effort at gun control like anything opposing our right to have unrestricted access to our guns by the federal government that is what we're here to fight we're not really politically going to focus as much on like you know whatever duck hunting or whatever (laughs) (laughs) yeah the nice things we do relatively uh specifically a figure in this in the Cincinnati revolt is Harlan Carter, who is this fucking nut who, I think he killed a kid, a guy when he was a teenager in a, in a battle. He got into an altercation with an, a Mexican American man. And he apparently, the guy pulled a knife on him and Harlan Car- Carter shot him. Then he headed the Southwestern region of the immigration and naturalization service from 61 through 1970. And in, 1954, he proclaimed the biggest drive against illegal aliens in history, which is famously known as Operation Wetback. Ay, ay, ay. So he's not a good guy. His racial politics are dog shit, obviously. Sorry, I just said the W word on the air. But in May 1977, he organized the Cincinnati Revolt. He had a bunch of, like, his cronies and supporters wielding orange hunting caps and walkie-talkies on the convention center. And (laughs) I know, it's really weird. I'm just thinking of, like, like a thousand guys who look like Elmer Fudd. (laughs) Like, wabbit season. I want my AR-15. The result of that was he fired a lot of people and fucking just made sure that the NRA headquarters functionally and politically would remain in Washington, which is where it is. Well, not in Washington to this day. It's in Fairfax, Virginia. It's in the Washington area. Yeah. It's in the, it's in the greater DMV. And it's so interesting. These figures like Harlan Carter, I feel like there's so many of these, of these flamboyant far right lunatics who worked in federal, like this guy was working in on the INS he was extremely fucking angry because gu- he hated gun control radicals in the 60s who thought that the urban crime epidemic and the assassinations of JFK, MLK, and RFK. Obviously, MLK Jr. was killed by the FBI. Let's not fucking mince words here, just to digress. It's not just some random assassination. Clearly, the FBI did it, right? We're, we're all on the same page on this. Either way, I, think, I find figures like this really interesting, and he's important to know, and he definitely... Like, that late 70s movement changed everything from 
just not just the NRA, but honestly, just lobbying as a whole. I think most successful lobbying outfits in some way or other mimic the NRA. This 1977 convention happened, and a few years later, what happens on the street as Ronald Reagan is exiting a car is he's shot, and his press secretary, James Brady, is shot in the head. Both will survive. God damn it. Republicans never die in assassinations, except for Lincoln. It's bullshit. It's because they have no brains. Or hearts. Or hearts, yeah. In the case of Dick Cheney, he literally has, like, no pulse. (laughs) He's got, like, four. He will never die. (laughs) So Reagan, after being shot, didn't really use that to galvanize any sort of gun control, obviously, because his base wouldn't want that. But Clinton did, and he signed uh, background check rules and assault weapons restrictions into effect early on in his presidency. And in the wake of the massacre at Columbine High School, Clinton attempted to push a bill that would close the gun show loophole, which allowed the Columbine shooters to amass their arsenal. Now, the gun show loopholes, we've all heard this term a million times, it's basically that anyone can show up to a gun show on the weekend and just kind of buy whatever they want without background checks or any sort of, like, you can circumvent normal rules. Low-key, I mean, I live in Virginia. Uh, Probably going to do that at some point. (laughs) I was like, I could get a gun, but if I tell the government I have it, yeah, I'll take education classes. I don't want the government to know I have it, though. And I think I can get away with it. If you look it up, you get in way more trouble in Virginia for having weed than you get in trouble for having a gun without a registration. There are actually, I don't think, any rules on the books that outlaw possession of a firearm that's unregistered, unless you have an unregistered firearm in conjunction with other things, like drugs. <laughs> so when this bill hit the Senate to close the gun show loophole after Columbine, Al Gore had to be the tie-breaking vote. And obviously voted in favor, which was a big defeat for the NRA. So this bill went to the House and Wayne LaPierre, who is the head of the NRA, Sam, this is the big man, right? (laughs) Yeah, my old boss. And he was known as really a lobbying expert, a political sort of mastermind. And let's not like, let's not mince words. I, I see Wayne LaPierre. I feel like what people say about, like, how Steve Bannon is this, like, genius, like, tactician, I actually think Wayne LaPierre, like, after researching him, like, I think he does, unfortunately, like, he's extremely skilled at this lobbying thing, and there's a reason why the gun lobby is so strong. Yeah, and also, Wayne LaPierre is a billion times more fucking ruthless and powerful than Steve Bannon is. Steve Bannon just makes dipshit documentaries. So, Wayne LaPierre, not a big gun expert, but a very good negotiator between the sportsman faction of the NRA and the radical gun activist faction, released this insane letter to the NRA membership. This six-page NRA letter signed by Wayne LaPierre and sent out to NRA members singles out lawmakers who are pressing for the gun control legislation, and it said... (laughs) 
It doesn't matter to them that the semi-auto ban gives jackbooted government thugs more power to take away our constitutional rights, break in our doors, seize our guns, destroy our property, and even injure or kill us. It goes on. Not too long ago, it was unthinkable for federal agents wearing Nazi bucket helmets and black stormtrooper uniforms to attack law-abiding citizens. Uh, I love it when people just... Conservatives can't resist bringing in the analogy that like Nazis are liberals. Have you have you seen that lately? I think Dinesh D'Souza literally has a book called The Big Lie, which right. says that Nazis were liberals, like they were leftists. Dinesh D'Souza, is- who got dragged as hell this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, because he had those insanely taste. Well, we'll get into the tasteless responses to the fucking Parkland survivors, but... Let's stick with the history. So... Yeah, we gotta do some veggies first. Wayne LaPierre sends out this six-page letter, and it did not go over well. And George H.W. Bush, high-profile moment, left the NRA after the letter. (laughs) Wayne apologized, which this was seen by NRA members as totally weak. And now, here's where I think we have to really understand this. It does not behoove Wayne LaPierre to not use incendiary language. It galvanizes the base, and these are people with a lot of political power, because guess what? NRA members actually fucking vote, and they make calls, and they show up at town meetings because they're actually engaged on it. They're obsessed with this weird... uh, gun fetish wayne lapierre didn't want to seem weak so he dug in on fully pushing members of congress to strike down the bill so the bill had passed the senate thanks to al gore it was going to the congress and the nra flooded out propaganda it was everywhere members of congress were called maybe hundreds of times (laughs) which is apparently enough to get them to do stuff They said in this documentary that I watched that you really only need a few hundred people who are really dedicated to calling a rep's office or to show up at a public function to get a congressman to be afraid that you represent a huge number of their constituents, which could vote them out. So NRA members forced Congress people. They didn't force them, obviously, but they persuaded them. And the bill came up 22 votes short. So... That uh, was a huge defeat for gun control for Clinton in the wake of Columbine. I think it was when Wayne LaPierre really learned that the New York and Washington media, the coastal media, when they say you've gone too far, lean in. Because that's how you get your supporters to become more passionate and, you know, call the senators. Let's also note, though, I want to point something out that I think People have set these goalposts on this debate over the NRA that they don't they didn't need to set. They could widen the goalposts. Let me widen the goalposts a little bit. This only works because, like you said, it only takes a few hundred dedicated people calling to get a senator to move one way. So there are more than a few hundred people who could call every senator about almost every issue. Imagine that was happening all that's the feared hyper plurality that people talk about where there's so many voices that there's cacophony and we can't get anything done. I don't think we have that in our country, but it's very telling. I personally think that the U.S. Congress will need to be fundamentally restructured if it's going to have anything 
higher than a 9% approval rating moving forward. <laughs> because no matter what, people who agree with Congress don't like Congress. And I think it just goes to show how weirdly outdated and unrepresentative our legislature is. It's less representative of our country as a whole than most other legislative bodies in Western Europe. It's also just, people don't think about it. This is like a 200 fucking many years old form of government thought up by people who have no conception of the world we live in today. And the idea that that should be immutable and that they really knocked it out of the park so hard that first time is this collective delusion that Americans have. And of course people will be like, well, you could amend the Constitution. But the Constitution itself makes it very fucking difficult to do that because it's a conservative document. So to all those like liberals out there or people on the left who think that there's some way through this like old school weird system to get what they want, I would say you should really start looking at that just political structure itself if you really want to be able to get this shit done. Because it shows that it's easily manipulated by demagogues like Wayne LaPierre. Uh, one year after Columbine, the NRA resolves to play a huge role in swinging the Bush versus Gore election, we had the Charlton Heston classic uh, moment. Let's play the audio. So as uh, we set out this year to defeat the divisive forces that would take freedom away, I want to say those fighting words for everyone within the sound of my voice to hear and to heed, and especially for you, Mr. Gore. From my cold, dead hands. From my cold, dead hands. Now, Bowling for Columbine, like, it used some shitty editing to imply that he said that, like, a day after or something. <laughs> when it was, like, a year later, but whatever. It's I thought it was still kind of insensitive, but... <laughs> the one thing I really have to say about it is that the bits where Michael Moore is just kind of berating Charlton Hesse at his home. I'm like, I, I And he's know. like, he, he holds up a, like a photo of one of the like victims. And he's like, yeah, have you seen this little girl? Well, like she's, she's gone. <laughs> yeah. Like either struggle the man or don't struggle him. Don't just like go and whine to his face. Yeah. Gore was kind of the villain uh, in the NRA's mind, obviously because he's the Democratic candidate, but they also had the juice from what had happened when he was the deciding vote as vice president to send Clinton's gun control bill to the House. Now, another point that was made in this thing that I saw was that the NRA thinks about guns way long after the tragedies are over when the rest of us yep. aren't thinking about it. And that's kind of what helps them to stay in power so much is because like they're always on this issue. Yeah, I told you in the story People are fucking living their best lives at the NRA. They wake up and just think about guns all day. They're down to do it. They are ready to meet you, and they are very fucking well-equipped. They will beat you over and over again. So what happens in the 2000 election? We all know, but you can definitely credit Bush winning Gore's home state of Tennessee and West Virginia, which at that time was thought to be in the bag for him. The blue state. To the NRA. The NRA was a decisive factor in his defeat, 
obviously everything that happened in Florida happened probably outside of like NRA influence, but you can't deny that uh, those losses were pretty big in pretty heavy uh, gun states. So the Bush years, the assault weapons ban expired, I think in, oh, I think in right in 04. The gun control endeavors that Bill Clinton had put in place were entirely off the table. Laws were enacted to protect gun makers from lawsuits. That I think is key because guns are a commodity. Defending like a profitable commodity is way more politically tenable than just defending like an idea. The... NRA isn't really just protecting the Second Amendment and gun owners. I think they're also protecting the gun industry, Definitely. which is a powerful fucking... They'll fund you way better than a lot of other groups can afford to. I think that's very telling. So, Sandy Hook. 20 children, 6 adults shot dead in a Connecticut school. These were first graders. Obama gives his pretty sincere, tearful speech and resolves to act quickly. And people were really amping up pressure on the NRA. Like, you know, you murdered my child. You know, you're whatever. You're allowing children to be murdered so that you can... Because of your direct political action, my children were murdered with an assault rifle. At, like In school. At school. broad daylight at school. Jesus Christ. You've created this hell world how dare you like the, I, every time they're up there the nra i'm just like you fucking goons how do you walk around and not get like assault oh well they do have guns <laughs> uh, that's why people can't assault them right. on the streets but still after sandy hook wayne lapierre knew he had to do something and he heads to washington with a huge private security detail and fucking right after sandy hook everyone expects him to kind of throw a bone to the grieving parents but no wayne comes out and says the only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun what if when adam lanza had been shooting he'd been confronted by qualified armed security so he had learned from his previous mistakes took this incendiary no compromise position and literally was like our children are defense utterly defenseless <laughs> saying that the government failed them by not having more guns so fucked up this is just that and see that's what it goes to say he doesn't care who has the guns he just he, like they gotta be out there in force and people have to like them you know and then the washington new york media says he's disgusting like the daily news new york post the headlines were like you know this guy's a big piece of shit which totally he is but guess what it caused the people who it resonated with to give a shit ton more money to the nra I don't have the exact figure in front of me, but it was a lot. And see, this is actually really important because we always, like, shit on the media for the way they convey shit like this. This is a very important issue, and Wayne LaPierre is a very important figure, and he's very evil and a very strong force for bad. But they will focus on his statements and the fact that he's not nice and that how could he say these things. It's never about what he did. It doesn't matter what he says. What happens is the fact that people donate when he says it. Joe Manchin, a Democrat senator from West Virginia with an A rating 
from the NRA, and Joe Biden decided to aggressively push a bill to expand background checks, which isn't a fucking, like, radical position, and <laughs> what happened next is just a testament to how the NRA is totally not an organization that is there to compromise in any way. So NRA leaders begin to sit down with Joe Manchin to discuss just what he's planning, and letters began circulating from other... of. Uh, crazy gun activists in the NRA that Wayne is compromising. So <laughs> Wayne just totally ghosts Joe Manchin, stops responding <laughs> to his calls and emails from his office, and then fully goes on the offensive against the background check bill. Um, they're about to vote. And Gabby Giffords, who was a gun-owning congresswoman in Arizona who had literally been shot in the head a few years yep. before and survived came out to speak in front of the lawmakers about, you know, why this bill should pass. Even with all that, it fails. <laughs> Shitty history, man. Based on all that information we just spat out, what do you think we can apply that knowledge to kind of be smarter about the way we read the events of the last like week and a half since Valentine's Day when the high school uh, in Florida was uh, massacred? I think the thing that stands out to me is just, and I think the thing that's also the most constructive thing to focus on is not the NRA's successes so much as, which is important to know about, and I'm glad we all, that this is all out there, but one thing that people really need to look at is how everyone who tried to stop them failed. Because I think that we've gotten into this place now where being murdered with like an assault rifle these days seems like a microaggression. I feel like they're like think pieces about it, like why it's problematic that the kids were shot dead <laughs> like when they were at school. You know, like I think there's it's become part of outrage culture, which is really I don't know when you have like an ongoing civil war in your country, which is what the the effect of our gun culture is like you know, thousands and thousands of people are just murdered every day in this country by guns, which is unheard in numbers unheard of in other countries. It's like, <laughs> you need to think about a more effective resistance to the NRA and people need to take it more seriously. And I think these kids who are out there, these fucking, well, they're teenagers are going out and changing the way we think about it. And I think that people need to focus on that a lot. The focus also on the successes against the NRA. Right. We need to find out how to stop Because the NRA. <laughs> we have so many examples of these failures. And, well, Wayne LaPierre talked about the good guy with a gun needed to stop a bad guy with a gun. Well, guess what, motherfuckers? Their high school, Stoneman Douglas High School in Florida, had an armed deputy police officer. Oh, God. The police officer assigned to Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School resigned Thursday under investigation for failing to enter the building as a gunman opened fire yep. and killed 17 people. Sheriff Scott Israel said Deputy Scott Peterson should have went in, addressed the killer, killed the killer. Video footage showed that Peterson did none of that, Israel said. The sheriff's office said Thursday that two deputies were put under investigation for how they handled potential warnings about crews including one from November in which a caller said Nicholas Cruz could be a school shooter in the making. Peterson came under scrutiny after 19-year-old Cruz entered a school building with an AR-15 and killed 14 students and three educators on Valentine's Day. 
and he later confessed. The sheriff said video shows Peterson was outside the building for upwards of four minutes while students were being gunned down inside. Let me stop it's, you there, Dan. Listen, Dan, take one second. No, no, one no, no, second. Listen. One second. Do you know how much he made? Do you know how, do you know how much he made per year? How much? Seventy-five thousand dollars. <laughs> In, fuck, in, like, fuck off Florida, in, like, the middle of nowhere, wherever Parkland is, that's, like, a billion dollars. And he made 101013 that year in actual wages with his overtime and other compensation. He makes and, a six-year no, no. salary to let to watch kids get murdered and not do shit. And let me just- say, I understand as a human being not wanting to run in. I mean, they were paying you to keep the kids safe. You didn't keep the kids safe. You didn't have to shoot the guy, but you had to stop him from shooting all those kids. That's what they were paying you $100,000 to do. I'm not saying you have to go out there and, like, slit the shooter's throat or anything, but you do need to stop him from shooting all these kids in broad daylight. And this just fucking blasts Trump's thing that he was talking about this week, that teachers should be armed. It's These it's fuckers think it's insane. like the Wild West out there. They think that everything is an action movie. They think it's like Transformers. So Wayne LaPierre even, I think, reaffirmed this at CPAC. So never let anyone like your fucking conservative uncle like talk about arming the teachers because it's just fucking bullshit. Even someone who was a cop sat outside. Yo, also, there are also a lot of countries that are very similar to us in most other ways, and their cops don't carry guns. I think we take it for granted now that cops carry guns. If we have our next generation of kids taking it for granted that teachers have guns, we are going to be living in a sick place, and it's not going to be fun. And let's move on to the right-wing attacks on the survivors. Yes. And we hit on this a little before. I pulled up an article from the Miami Herald. Let's also diss the Miami Herald for being an extreme reactionary, like, anti- Castro paper that still reads as parody after all these years sometimes, but they have other good reporting, just not on that topic. Okay, here's a good one. An aide to Florida rep Sean Harrison, a Republican from Hillsborough County, used state email to send a photo of two students with this message to a reporter. Both kids in the picture are not students here, but actors that travel to various crises when they happen. And that's obviously false. Harrison immediately distanced himself, I was just made aware today that my aide made an insensitive and inappropriate allegation about Parkland students today. I have spoken to him and placed him on leave and until we determine an appropriate course of action. Motherfucker! Like, there's... Jesus, that's low. I mean, if you're getting a government salary and you're engaging in conspiracy theory like this... And your conspiracy theory is that kids who watch their classes murdered or lying about it for political gain, then you can fuck right off. The Gateway Pundit, which is a popular far-right website, pro-Trump, one of the uh, leading students is a plant, they say, and included a picture of student David Hogg with a circle around his head and this statement, son of FBI agent. That's not, like, inciting... They're not kind of calling any sort of, like, targeting metaphor here, right? Sir, when I drew crosshairs around a teenager's face, I was doing it to be playful and instructive and use visual diagrams to uh, demonstrate game theory. I was not advocating shooting a child. Oh, there was that one where Jack Kingston, that shithead, former U.S. Representative Jack Kingston went on CNN's 
New Day and doubted the student's intentions, questioning their motivation on his Twitter account and opining that they're being led by, quote, left-wing gun control activists. And he said their sorrow can be very easily hijacked by left-wing groups who have an agenda. That's why they call him George Soros. Yeah. So this was another big story this week. Um, Students in a Texas school district were, Sam, literally... (laughs) Threatened with suspension over protesting gun violence. <laughs> Obviously, like, I mean, do we need to go into, like, the constitutional implications yeah. here? Well, of course. But I think it is telling that... You ever heard that stupid phrase, like, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win? It's amazing that these kids are already on the third stage of that. Because the point of a protest is to piss people off. A lot of people think the point of a protest is to show up and get arrested. A lot of great protests in history have been people showing up knowing that they were going to get arrested. And here you've got these fucking kids doing, at the high school level, the same thing. And, you know, we may yet see that the law starts to fucking arrest these kids. Also, hang on for a second, dude. I loved the dialogue around this story. The... (laughs) implication that your high school permanent record will follow you and like (laughs) if you like disobey that you will like never be employed or something we'll we'll tell cointelpro about you (laughs) if any fucking student from this texas school district or any other that's being threatened with suspension is listening to this i would suggest that you do it and don't be afraid and take your three-day suspension and just take a walk. Yeah. Go yeah. to the movies. Take it from two adults. We're successful. We don't live in our parents' homes. We live in, you know, big eastern cities and make bank. I was suspended twice in elementary school. I was suspended at least, like, four fucking times. My permanent record doesn't mean shit, you know? Their reason for suspension would be a lot more, like, noble than what I'm sure ours were. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Mine was for some old bullshit. We'll admit our white privilege here, but of still, course. like, go fucking raise hell. Like, we're with you if you're listening to this for some reason. So, I think a big moment for the high school students this week was CNN's big gun town hall where Marco Rubia and Dana Loesch just got owned and this is about people who are for making a difference to save us and people who are against it and prefer money. So, Senator Rubio, can you tell me right now that you will not accept a single donation from the NRA in the future? I wish I could have. I wish I could have. Uh, I wish I could have spoken. I wish I could have asked the NRA lady a question. I wish the NRA lady I, I could have talked to because I would ask her how she can look in the mirror, considering the fact that she has children. But you know, maybe she avoids what those. Is that? I'm sorry. The... I don't freaking know. That's okay. okay. The question is about NRA yeah. money. All right, Sam. Which uh, did you watch any of this the other night? Of course I did. Oh, I didn't watch like the whole debate, but I've seen a bunch of the clips, and. I have to say it's amazing these kids got this fucking town hall. They've, they've shifted the bait so much that there's this town hall on it. Live fucking television, international, like... The world was watching. And the world yes. watched little Marco, who is... I have the controversial opinion that Marco Rubio is the dumbest Republican. 
he was sweating and quaking. Yeah, but kids were fucking bearing down on him. Gotta shout out these parents in the crowd, too. Yeah. I want to like you. Here's the problem. And I'm a brutally honest person, so I'm just going to say it up front. Yes, sir. When I like you, you know it. And when I'm pissed at you, you know it. Your comments this week and those of our president have been pathetically weak. You and I are now eye to eye because I want to like you. Look at me and tell me guns were the factor in the, the hunting of our kids in this school this week. And look at me and tell me you accept it and you will work with us to do something about guns. Fred, um, I'm not, first of all, what I, let me explain what I said this week and I'll repeat it. I'll repeat what I said. And what I said, and then I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. We're going to talk about guns, and we're going to talk about what I said this week. And here's what I said. I said that the problems that we are facing... Let, let him speak. I think we need to hear it. I'm saying that the problems that we're facing here today cannot be solved by gun laws alone. Forward. Guns the factor Absolutely. in the hunting of, of our kids. Of course they were. God, I loved how he just said, he just straight up called him pathetically weak. Yes. It's so funny. <laughs> it's amazing. And... Definitely, the these kids are going to need this. There's this weird brand of left reporting saying that these kids are like wunderkind who are going to lead us to this brand future and we should, you know, trust the, the children. It's a trope I'm forgetting the name of, like from the mouth of babes or whatever. But I think they need the support of boomers and people who are in their 20s and 30s and 40s and beyond old people, everyone else. So. Can we maybe tie that into like the whole patronizing like God is a black woman thing? <laughs> yeah, definitely. There's definitely going to be some like liberal, you know, this child is a queer person of color who is God <laughs> and she will single handedly, you know, save us from humanity. Kind of like the Oprah stuff that Rachie was talking about. But I think it is worth focusing and remembering a certain period in history, which is in 1963, the Birmingham Children's March, where literally 4,000 children marched in Birmingham against the racial segregation of that time as part of the civil rights movement. And thousands of them were arrested. They sicked dogs on these kids. They turned fire hoses on these kids. There's a certain... I think at a certain level, especially when you're of color, they will attack you as if you are a political threat because you kind of are. Kids change hearts and minds. And JFK did have to respond and denounce the violence at the Children's March, which was obviously all perpetrated by the police, not the children. But I think it's telling that, you know, we're in this period in history where we have Listen, weird Listen, how many on. people were murdered in that field in Las Vegas? And we didn't, we didn't get this far. Yeah, exactly. It's because of these kids now. Oh, this one was good too. A church in Northeast Pennsylvania is telling couples to bring their semi-automatic rifles to a blessing ceremony next week. Couples. The event is meant to give couples an opportunity to show their willingness to defend their families, communities, and nation. <laughs> All the weapons will be checked to make sure they are unloaded with a zip tie so that no bullets can be inserted. Oh, God. What a fucking dumb country. God bless my AR-15. I mean, God like, bless though. this country. Literally. I think that AR stands for America, not assault rifle. 
Wayne LaPierre at CPAC, this was great. He warned of a socialist wave. Yeah, there's hope In wake yet. of the shooting, he even mentioned the DSA. Yeah, he did. And they got a bump. That's great. I think the more people on the left are denounced by heinous right-wing figures like Wayne LaPierre, who, you know, I think it honestly will push more libs, like left-leaning liberals who haven't made the break from the Democrats, would probably consider it. After Dude, that. LaPierre said that in the past he had worked with Democrats who wanted to work to reduce gun violence, but that leaders now only cared about exploiting tragedy for political gain. Calling them a tidal wave of new European socialists in charge of the party and name checking Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, oh Bill de Blasio, <laughs> Andrew Cuomo, <laughs> Cory Booker. <laughs> Noted Maoist, Andrew Cuomo. <laughs> Christopher Murphy from Connecticut, uh, Keith Ellison, to booze from the crowd. The elites care not one whit about America's school system and school children. Motherfucker, you made $5 million last year. You are an elite. It's just the worst, like, B-level rabble-rousing that still works somehow. And if you're interested in the way that talking about gun control without passing laws is actually great for gun makers in the NRA, in the show notes we'll attach a great story about that from Quartz. It has some graphs in here that are crazy. The sales have just gone up and up and up uh, and obviously spiked with every tragedy. I mean, that's why they come out with this whole, like, the only thing that can stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun because either way someone's buying a gun well this was interesting trump uh, came out against these bump stock things which i don't really want to go into the details of what they are you can google that gun owners <laughs> are really pissed uh, apparently the colorado sports shooting association's president says out in the firearms community there is a great feeling of betrayal and abandonment so like literally if trump budges even a little bit on this like he's, he's gonna lose a lot of that nra love yeah it's true they're a tough friend to please i wanted to talk quickly just about i think there's a great book out there by roxanne dunbar artis who also wrote the indigenous people's history of the united states but she has a book about the second amendment as it relates to America's gun culture from historical period to now. And it's important to know that in the Second Amendment, that well-regulated militia that it calls for, which the NRA forgets about, but that well-regulated militia would have been so that people could shoot Native Americans. In the ah, 13th the militia wasn't to fight back against a tyrannical government? No, absolutely not. It was about establishing colonial power. I mean, the 13 colonies... A lot of them required people to, like, own guns. A lot of the earlier settlements, too, because they needed to shoot, not to mention the insane amount of, like, fauna and wildlife that was abundant in the Americas when people first show up. I mean, apparently in, like, the Caribbean, ships would run aground on sea turtles because there were so many of them and shit like that. So there was probably also that element, but definitely a large part of it was this genocidal implication. Then, of course, she ties it into how it relates to, you know, the period during slavery and ensuring order under the slave system. And then ties it into now where, like you said, the gun outrage and gun massacres are sort of good for the gun industry because no matter what they still sell guns they're like an industry they're like an industrial force and it's hard to just you know get rid of an like an industry especially under capitalism because people need jobs and shit people need money or else they starve why do you think trump supports arming teachers it's an easy solution that makes more money yeah. like, that means like maybe even the school pays for the gun uh, <laughs> it's like when even... you get a laptop from your school <laughs> 
right. Student ID, sidearm, concealed carry. Yeah. Well, they're only going to give them to the white kids, though. Uh, it's probably true. What was your like, gut reaction to the idea that arming the teachers was a good idea? Because, like, we've never heard a fucking, like, that actually be, like, a real... It's almost like The Wall. Yeah. Like, how yeah. that sounded so stupid, but now people are actually talking about yeah, it. it's gonna happen. Because for me, I thought of, honestly, if my teacher was armed, I would not be comfortable being in the room. No. As soon as he said it, my heart sank because I knew it would happen. Like, people will do it. Why do you think they don't want those kids to be protesting for gun control? Because... The administration is probably extremely pro-gun themselves. Yeah. And like I said, there's a lot of powerful figures behind it. And they are kind of scared now in a weird way, which they should be because they're hell. But either way, um, I, I I think it's, it's shocking. It's sickening. I don't know if it's going to get much better. Hopefully there are some signs like you posted this article about how Oregon signed its first gun control bill after the massacre. So, but I, I mean, I'm not that sure that legalistic responses are going to solve the problem entirely. I do think that like you need to take aim at the gun producers themselves. There's just so many out there now. You can't regulate them away and they're just producing more and more and more because people are getting rich off of it. So that's like what needs to be combated. The Oregon law only applied to people convicted of stalking and domestic violence yeah, so that's not even or under broad. restraining orders from buying or owning firearms or ammunition. So that's not a huge percentage of the po it's a it's a good thing, but it, it's only it's a small crumb of what needs to be done. Yeah. I mean, it's a huge issue and it needs to be attacked on all of its fronts and I feel like the current relegation of gun issues to fucking outrage culture is disastrous so either way let's lighten things up with that bill o'reilly tweet that everyone fucking loved which is i'm gonna read it out loud the big question is should the media be promoting opinions by teenagers who are in an emotional state and facing extreme peer pressure in some cases well i would actually prefer an unemployed sex pervert with like a youtube show Tweeting. tell me how to feel yeah um, is that okay <laughs> now this made me so god dang angry because this is bill o'reilly who was on fox news which is the king the network king of putting fucking kids on their stupid political coverage constantly they're always like let me get this dipshit kid's opinion. I attached three fucking examples of this. One of them is when Waters, Jesse Waters. You know we're playing the audio. We're playing a clip from each. So. For sure. Exhibit A. Exhibit A. Who do you think should be president? I think Bernie Sanders should be president. I've watched the news a lot. What do you watch, MSNBC? That's sick. Who do you think should be president of the United States? Hillary Clinton. Taylor Swift. <laughs> Bernie Sanders. What are you guys, socialists? Yeah. yeah. What does that mean? I don't know, man. <laughs> I wouldn't go telling people that. Who do you think should be president of the United States? Donald Trump. Donald Trump. Trump. Oh, you're cute. Thanks. Right. Stranger no, 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 danger. Wait, okay. Stranger okay. danger. No, please. A true president should be wise, noble, loyal to America, and you know, not stupid. What do you think about Obama? I think he should stay. You love MSNBC, don't you? Astounding! So that what was- the hell was that? <laughs> that was Jesse Waters interviewing children during the 2016 fucking primary about what they thought about politics. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What show was that on? <laughs> I don't know. Who cares? The next one is when- It was on the O'Reilly Factor! Yeah, it was on the O'Reilly Factor! 
back in the book segment tonight, What is World? It has been my experience that American children often have a lot of wisdom to put forth. <laughs> You're right. I forgot. <laughs> oh, I wrote it down and I even forgot. Yeah, it's oh, on no. his own goddamn show. And then, okay, so then the next one is Waters interviewing Trump's youngest supporter recently. That got a lot of attention. The kids will play the audio here. <laughs> now, you told Ed that you are a fan of Donald Trump because of immigration. Tell me what you think of Trump's immigration platform. I think um, if Trump builds a wall, I think it would definitely work. Um, and so I'm, o I'm okay with Im um, legal immigrants coming into the country, but not with illegal immigrants because a lot of those illegal immigrants have problems or guns or drugs and um, they, they shouldn't be um, coming into our country and our country has too many problems right at the moment and we shouldn't have illegal immigrants in our way. Well put. Um, I think you hit it right on the head there, Jacob. And actually, Donald Trump just issued an executive order beginning construction of the wall pretty soon. And who's going to pay for the wall, Jacob? Mexico. <laughs> That's what we're hearing. Like, that kid gets beat up every day at school. He's like, yeah, I hope he... Stop you from beating me up. You'll see. Unending embarrassment. <laughs> I don't know. Well, maybe we're being mean to a child, <laughs> but either way, Fox yeah, News we, to put uh, Hold him up on, there. are we doing? Are we the, doing the Donald Trump Jr.? <laughs> we, no, we're definitely not doing the Donald Trump Jr. <laughs> yeah, I don't think our platform is nearly as big. <laughs> yeah, and I also don't don't go after these kids. It's just funny that go after Fox News. No, no, we're, Fox, we're pointing out. Yeah, Fox News. It's not the kids that we're making fun on. of. It's actually it is, but we're. We're really more insulting Bill O'Reilly's tweet here saying that, like, you shouldn't listen to the Parkland students because they're, you know, young and, you know, went through a traumatic event. It's like, motherfucker, you put on people who are way less qualified to talk about yeah. shit on your show all the time. Yeah. And the most recent one, which came out literally on, like, two days ago, was a story about this nine-year-old in California who served donuts to LAPD officers because he wanted to oh, show support sucked. for law oh, enforcement. Oh, God, let's play it. Let's play it. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. He's on a mission to change the world one donut at a time. Tyler, better known as Donut Boy, has been traveling across the country delivering the sweet treats to police officers as a thank you. They protect us, and even if they don't know us, they still protect us and rest their lives every day. Today's goal, bringing smiles to the force at LAPD headquarters downtown. So he wants to thank these officers and at such a young age, that's an awesome thing. <laughs> God, man. It's just, it was probably his parents just forcing him to do it, though. I know, like, it's sad, actually. I, with all these kids, I take back what I said about the Trump's youngest supporter kid. Like, I just feel bad for these kids. <laughs> they don't deserve this. Yeah, they're kind of victim. They, 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 like, they, they should be liberated. <laughs> yeah, they're a victim of Fox News and their fucked up, like, conservative wacko parents who are definitely ecstatic that their kids are on Fox News. But either way, Bill O'Reilly cannot be pulling this, like, bullshit because, as we've demonstrated, his own show and his dumbass channel are, or former channel that he got fired from for being too much of a sex pest, they are very much interested in what kids have to say about almost every political issue, no matter how frivolous. 
let's move on to all right one more thing that was going on in the news like uh, this was our fucking bread and butter kind of story trump wants to slash food stamps send and send out blue apron type boxes of pre-selected food <laughs> this is the dumbest thing i've ever heard they'll, they'll, they'll get the they'll get the the basil and they'll, they'll they'll mix it up with the mozzarella Make a margarita pizza. It's it's nice. It's fresh. It's healthy. They'll love it. Here's a few questions by at uh, Annie Lowry in the BuzzFeed article. What if you don't receive your box one month? What if you're homeless? What if you don't have a place to receive mail? What if you move frequently? What if you have allergies? What if the box gets wet or animals get into it? What if your kid is a fussy eater? What if you're a fussy eater? What about the end of the month? Will the value be the same? What about the stores in your town? What about fresh food, fruits and vegetables? What if you don't have gas or electricity to cook? Why are you even asking? You know the answer is that Trump thinks you should just die on the street if like any of those things are true. Yeah, they're going to just send the bare fucking minimum in a box. An awful fucking idea. Let's also take this opportunity to point out that the United States has had and still in a way continues to have a food stipend or what people in communist countries like rationing or something. Like the United States has done actual rationing in the past. And even now people get, you know, have a certain income level or are guaranteed a food stipend. So like <laughs> we shouldn't act like this is alien, but Trump is going to act like this is alien and try to get rid of it and have people die of hunger in the streets. So if you guys want to live in a country where people die of hunger in the streets, then go ahead and, you know, act like it's reasonable to send people the fucking Blu-ray brand food stamps. The box. The box of, like, millet and fucking... What would it even be, like, the most, spam, like, cheap... filet of fishes <laughs> It's the Trump diet. It's just, like, 12 Diet Cokes. It's, like... <laughs> just every day you have to eat the worst, the least healthy oh, thing. No, no one. yeah. Oh. God damn it. You just get 12 Diet Cokes, no water. God, how many kidney stones has that motherfucker had? His ultimate revenge is that you have to turn into Trump. Ugh, ew. <laughs> For the pop culture corner this week, we're going to talk about a classic Paul Verhoeven's Starship Troopers. Yeah. Um, I saw this movie for the first time in college. Now, you said you saw it when you were, like, a kid. Yeah, I saw it when I was, like, younger. <laughs> I don't think my parents were, like, that good about maybe, like, playing uh, age-appropriate movies all the time. You obviously didn't get that this was satire. No, no. I just thought it was, like... Or, like, uh, a comedy. I just thought my dad liked a movie where, like, a like bugs and aliens were running around and, like, people were getting, like, dismembered. But either way, this movie is an adaptation of a book that apparently is actually very right-wing. And the movie tells the story of these, in the future, humans on Earth are seemingly united, but they are engaged in nearly constant warfare against these, like, giant bugs that live in on, on other planets. And, of course, they have, like, ranks, like a normal military, but the bugs never seem to be antagonizing them in any way. The bugs just seem to be, like, either performing natural bodily functions, like they can shoot these spores that destroy their humans' ships. And they do attack the humans when the humans are on their planet, but there's no reason for the humans to be there, But apparently. here's the thing. The framing of the film is that it's sandwiched at the beginning and end by military recruitment propaganda. Yeah. And I think we are to see the whole film as a comment on, obviously, right-wing militarism. And not just even, like, the horrors of war, but... 
Paul Verhoeven even said, I read that he wanted to make it about the way war turns us all into fascists. Yes. The humans are pretty fascist in that movie. I mean, oh my god, yeah, dude. The high school lecture. I took this quote down. Naked force has resolved more issues than any other factor. Like their teacher says that to <laughs> yeah. them in, in high school. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I definitely had like one or two right wing like teachers or professors, but nothing close to that. The whole movie looks like the characters all seem like they're in the 1950s, but it's obviously in like the far future. They have like interstellar travel. Right. But it's the kind of Lynchian, like, like campy high school drama parody of the soap opera. Can't be right. Yeah, it's it's kind of like that. Twin Peaks ish. Three best friends. Neil Patrick Harris is one of the main characters. He plays. Oh God, he's great as like a scientist. Yeah, he plays. He plays like a game theorist, which is amazing because <laughs> that's some shit that needs to be made fun of constantly. Obviously, like most famously, Stanley Kubrick just dunked on game theory hard with Dr. Strangelove, but it's definitely stuff that's funny and, and not something I, I see every day. So I liked it. Obviously in the first scene with this recruitment video, they're totally using violence to get people to join the military. He's basically, you know, not not saying like defend your country, but like you'll get to like debone some insects. Yeah, it's just about killing. It's almost like war is like a valve release for their like society right and johnny rico the main character he's you know your every man white bread boy what did you make of that they had relocated to buenos aires like that was where their families grew up and everyone there is white it seems like they had this interesting like it was interestingly it was very diverse and people didn't seem divided by race or class despite the fact that his specific high school definitely looked pretty white but within the military unit itself it seemed more diverse so i don't know it's hard to interpret maybe the military like pools <laughs> from because it's like maybe it's like earth's whole military yeah i'm not sure how to interpret the like nationalistic or racial politics of that disturbing you know earth army but it was definitely kind of weird how it seemed like they i i almost took it to be like they had achieved like relative equality just by like diverting aggression against like bugs and putting people through like a meat grinder in a weird way i don't know if that's true after the buenos aires homeland of johnny rico is attacked there's this bizarre like speech like okay but like let's be clear it's attacked by a meteor i don't know if we ever get proof that they actually shot the bugs actually were able to like shoot a meteor at the earth (laughs) no so it's just this you know it's all based on like presumptions there's no real effective communication shown between the insects and the humans but This was the way that they said, to ensure, this was the speech after the attack, to ensure humans, not insects, continue to dominate now and always. The goal isn't to, like, survive or, like, sustain ourselves, it's to dominate them. To me, that said so much, you know, about what the film's kind of real uh, point of view is. Yeah, and I think it definitely read it as an allegory for Middle East politics. Not that people in the Middle East are bugs. And just general U.S. foreign policy, I think. Yeah, we were go, that's how we portray other countries and we just go abroad and you know massacre ourselves and others i also thought it was interesting i don't know if i've ever heard of a book adaptation like a movie that was adapted from a book where the movie is a sort of a hijacking of the book right the book was very right-wing but the movie is not really it's supposedly like a satire 
<laughs> what about that training video where it was like everyone do their parts and it was these like children like stomping bugs and their mom <laughs> I like specifically wanted to mention that furiously applauding it was like the way the mom <laughs> no they were stomping the bugs to own the libs it's like what they what the conservatives like smash curings and shit like that let's play a clip if uh, we can find it everyone's doing their part are you The war effort needs your effort at work, at home, in your community. Yeah, that scene is just so funny. It is. To own the libs, you must, like, be always fighting. The most bizarre thing about the ending was this scene where it's like someone asks Neil Patrick Harris, what's she thinking, Colonel? And he shouts out, it's afraid! About the huge, like, queen insect that they'd captured. And just the whole army's, like, cheering. And it's like, so the victory that they achieved after going on this absurd suicide mission was that they made the queen arachnid afraid. It's like, so, it just shows like, to me, like the pointlessness of armed conflict often and how like we have to reinforce for, for ourselves that it's worth it. Even when the victories are so like meaningless and there's so much fucking violence like when xander gets killed and the bug is about to suck out his brain and he says literally this is the quote he says right before the queen uh sucks out his brain he's like one day someone like me is gonna kill you and your whole race like come on man if that's not like hitting you over the head the thing i found most striking is like despite their advanced technology and like literally interstellar travel they have relatively ineffective weapons to fight the bugs which to me suggested that the conflict was entirely pointless and designed to be like this kind of thing that keeps humanity rooted in like the 50s even as it progresses into the future and a sort of military industrial complex yeah i think was definitely implied also just like social conservatism and stuff but either way that's all i had to say about it i just wanted to quickly talk about this article from the atlantic where it talked about how a few critics when the movie came out totally misunderstood it and just thought it was like a dumb action movie and completely missed the satire yeah there's there is this kind of misunderstanding of this movie but i think like given that it's been like uh, how many years since it came out it came out in 97 I think that now it's very clear what Verhoeven was trying to do, which, like I said, he stated that he wanted to show war makes fascists of us all. And I also think it's cool, the actual last thing I'll say is that it's crazy whenever you see a movie or a show from like 20 plus years ago that is still pretty sharp and accurate. <laughs> and that's definitely what I saw to in this. It's a shame that we have not progressed any further and that this right-wing version of patriotism and jingoism still is, like, <laughs> fucking recognizable. But How bleak was the final uh, scene with the propaganda film and it just ends and it says, they'll keep fighting yep. and they'll win. <laughs> no matter what. Brutally massacred by bugs. So let's wrap up the week with story time, and I'll be providing this one. Sam, we have talked in the past about our feelings on recent Saturday Night Live. And their dog shit politics. And specifically, most of this is channeled in the just painful Alec Baldwin impression. Abysmal. Well, ladies and germs, I got to see it in the flesh. (laughs) A couple of weeks ago, a good friend of mine who works on the show 
offered me tickets to the dress rehearsal and the host was like natalie portman i was totally down and you know sometimes you watch something on tv with a studio audience like being in the studio audience is way more fun than watching it on tv like sam have you ever gotten to see like the colbert report or one of those shows that was going on so much in new york city no i never really felt like doing the work to actually get to see one of those well, it's actually kind of fun once you do it a ton of times, you know, you get tired of like the waiting. But if your pal works on the show, it's a it's great thing to do. So I just have no friends. <laughs> that's true. What would you do if you had the chance to be in the room one on one with Alec Baldwin, which I did not, but leave. <laughs> so I got to 30 Rockefeller Plaza. It is a decadent place um it's kind of like a shopping mall with offices upstairs and i got very frustrated with the receptionist and like stormed out <laughs> what <laughs> all right tell that story because she like she wouldn't she didn't know where the the line was for saturday Night live and i'm like you work here what do you mean what else are you here for i mean not to be a dick just like literally what that is your that is your job <laughs> yeah so i got very furious <laughs> we went to the gift shop where i sat in a big chair from america's got talent but pretended to be a shark from shark tank um which one obviously mr wonderful i'm more of a barbara myself i could see you uh, as a ba- uh, barbara she's she's very classy she's also the horny one and oh we were in the elevator and i told uh my roommate who i took uh to the show we're in like this crowded elevator being like shepherded up to the studio where they shoot the show and i was like hey look at the floor and it's like the peacocks on the rug like the nbc like (laughs) symbol that's amazing and um everybody uh in the elevator stared at me (laughs) Uh, maybe i said it louder than i thought um (laughs) was a little uh, under the influence. <laughs> the show starts, and wouldn't you know it, it's an episode with Alec Baldwin, like, doing, like, the Trump impression. Now, when you're in one of these tapings, the studio is really tiny, so you get to kind of, from your vantage point, you really see kind of the actors and the, like, crew be vulnerable, and... God, it was so funny watching Baldwin, like, kind of get into character, because I was sitting, like, right above him, and, like, right on the railing, and he was just, like, you know, clearly, like, scrunching his, like, wrinkled face, like, yeah, 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 I, I, like, I sound like, exactly like, th- like Donald Trump, this is what he sounds like. I have to say, Baldwin walking around looks so feeble. Like, he looked old as hell, man. Like, he, he his uh, slouch was terrible. I, I was like, you know, Trump's like a little dandy boy who, <laughs> you know, I can't imagine him having an actual like, physical altercation, but I bet he could kick Alec Baldwin's ass based on, like, the way Alec Baldwin was walking and had to be, like, helped in and out of this, like, bed for the eating cheeseburgers in bed watching Fox and Friends bit that they did. And I have to say, the show I saw was really funny. I know we criticize the show a lot, but you can tell those actors work really hard when you're, like, watching them sweat up there. I watched it back on Hulu. 
not as good. <laughs> Does not translate. And who would have thought? That's weird. The guy next to me was loving Baldwin, man. Oh, he was God. like, just, just clapped her and utter, like, hysterically laughing. Like, he was clearly a hashtag resistance boy. Well, I, I guess... Do you think – you said it, it. you enjoyed watching it, but you did not enjoy watching it later on on Hulu. Is that because you think maybe SNL has, like, lost that live aspect or something? I mean, even though it is called Saturday Night Live. You know, I hadn't thought about that, but maybe that is a good point. It's almost, like, so technologically seamless – that you do lose a lot of the like imperfections of seeing it in the room that make it kind of interesting and human. And once you like kind of like sanitize it so much like on TV and edit it, and I, I know it's live during the live show. I saw the dress rehearsal, but it was so much better in the room than I can rem- remember it being in like the last. You know, I don't remember it ever being that enjoyable watching the show the last few years. Yeah, I but that's mean... that's not to say like. There's never a good moment on there that I catch on YouTube or something. But, like, I don't know. There's quite a difference when you see it in the room. I guess I wouldn't necessarily have expected that. But I guess I am overly used to current SNL, which has these extremely, like, overdone skits and stuff. There's a lot of edits, like you said before. I guess it doesn't have that spontaneous live aspect that I would expect. And it seems like you're kind of corroborating my thesis there. I probably won't watch much for the rest of the season, but I had a great time there. And I felt guilty being there, having been so critical of the show on this podcast. (laughs) Do you think they were going to like... Did I think I was going to watch Sam? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Did you think that Alex what? Ball like was storm like, the stage and heckle the I show? You, yeah, Dan, I heard what you said about me on your little radio show. I'm furious. I can't deal with it. I'm still doing the Trump impression, even though I've not broken character and I'm just Alec Baldwin speaking to you here. Um, you get what the fuck? Like, did, you didn't hear any of that? <laughs> I don't think I did. Oh, one other thing before we close out. I thought it was really interesting how people at a fucking live show like that watch the monitors the entire show. It's <laughs> like, you know you can do that on TV later. <laughs> like, you can watch the people. You don't have to watch him on the screen. I know sometimes you, they're like out of your view is a little obstructed because the studio is kind of small. But it's like there were people who literally just watched the show on TV. Like, you could have done this from home and, like, been able to, like, piss and pause the DVR. (laughs) That's not what they're there for. (laughs) That's the plunge for this week. I'm Dan Spaventa. Follow me at Spaventacular. Uh, You can uh, listen to me on uh, the Craig Ferguson show weekdays uh, on Sirius XM Channel 103. Uh, What do you got to plug, Sam? Uh, you can just follow me on Twitter at W-A-G-S-D-A-N-K. Alrighty, we'll see you next week. Yeah.